Pilot Boys in the building. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. I'm Mecca Don here with my co-host V. Happy New Year, Pilot Boys. Today is January 9th, 2020. V, do you have your New Year resolutions yet? I'm not a big believer in resolutions. Like, if you need a resolution, that means that you are doing something wrong. So I try to live day by day and be better today than I was okay, yesterday. Yeah, yeah, okay. So no, right. no, no, no. Go write no, a fucking book. Okay. No resolutions for me. Happy New Year to you than, all. Thank you guys for tuning in. Do you have any? No, you, no, 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 no. Yeah, no, exactly. So no. don't don't say anything about me if you don't have any. Okay, okay. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Happy New Year to everybody. Again, once again. Uh, I know you could be anywhere in the world, but here you are with us. Thank you very much for that. Today, we will talk to Renaissance man and former NFL star Lee Bodden about his amazing and interesting life during and after football. We will also talk to our resident college football insider, Zach Smith, about the transfer portal, national championship predictions, and new Buckeyes to watch for the NFL. Shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Remember, starting this week, our $5 and up Patreon subscribers will get our episodes on Wednesdays, a night early. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's big time, big time. And don't forget, this Friday, we'll be doing a free Pilot Boys podcast t-shirt giveaway only for our $5 and up Patreon subscribers. If you subscribe, you'll be automatically entered. Once you sign up, sign up at www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys podcast. I tried to rig it to make sure I won the shirt, but, but Mecca stopped me. So. <laughs> Let's go. Where the Pilot Boys at? Pilot Boys, we get on You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. Our next guest is our definition of a pilot boy, an entrepreneur, world traveler, social activist, and a former NFL star, amongst many other things. Truly a renaissance man. Please welcome to the show, Lee Bodden. What's up, Lee? Nothing much, man. What up, Mecca? How you doing, brother? Good. Lee, what's up, man? Glad to have you on. I know we've, uh, we met a long time ago. I don't even remember how we met. I think you might have come to one of our one of our parties or something. One in, of these famous parties <laughs> in Cleveland. Yeah. I'm sure, yeah. It was Cleveland, though. It was Obviously, definitely was Cleveland. Early 2000s. Early 2000s, and, and when I met you, you always stood out to me because it, I could I could always tell that you were more than a football player, and you really thought about things beyond you know the time that you had on your on the field. And I think a lot of that had to had to do with the fact that you were an undrafted free agent, right? And you, you, you weren't the glorified, you know, five-star prospect out of, out of high school either. You went to Duquesne university. That was kind of the first question is like how that kind of chip on your shoulder and that reality of the insecurity of not being highly touted, how that drove you um, and drove everything in your career. Yeah. I mean, it, it drove every single thing in my career. I mean, and this started as a as a little kid. Um, just, I guess, even believing believing that I was one of the best athletes. Just you know, anytime I played against anybody, but never hearing it, mm. and then growing, never getting the the big accolades. You know, in high school, and then uh, whether it was football or basketball, 
and, and watching guys that I felt like I was better than, you know, get these accolades and, and I didn't get it. Um, you know, then going to a small school at Duquesne, still having the vision of, you know, wanting to be a professional athlete, but it, it, it always looked dark uh, when, uh, I, I, listen, I was a sophomore. I uh, went to one of the best high schools here, DeMatha High School in yep. uh, Maryland area. Mm. That's and where I, Chase Young went, right? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And so I, for JV, I remember one game in the fourth quarter, they threw me in there. They were like, Lee, go ahead in. And as I ran out on the field, the whistle blew in the fourth quarter. The game was over. Mm. You know, so, <laughs> so <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. as a 15-year-old kid, most kids nowadays, they'll quit. Yeah, right. I, I ain't doing this, but I, I didn't quit. I went to practice even harder. Uh, next week, I stayed on the team, but I, I, I definitely felt like I had to transfer. I, I transferred, and um, you know, but just fought through that through yeah. high school and college. Uh, people in college thought that I was great. Listen, I, and you know, the people on my team, uh, they felt like I was good in college too. Uh, but then being at Duquesne, a one double A school, was I going to make it to the league? Probably not. You right. know, a lot of people felt like that. Right. And uh, but I still felt like I could. My freshman year, I didn't know. I, I, I really felt like I had to transfer to Maryland. Um, but uh, my coaches, my parents, they kind of sat me down and said, man, just be a, a big fish in a small pond and they'll find you. And so I figured out. Uh, I had to look up, you know, the internet isn't the way the internet is now. So I had to look up the, um, the all time record of interceptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was 28 and I, I forgot who it was. I'm tied with him now, but wow. I'm tied for second because Rasheen Mathis actually, uh, he broke the record our senior year. He had 30 and I had 28. So Lee, let me ask you something actually about kind of uh, about your high school experience, I guess. Because it seems as though, you know, like you're saying, you always knew that you were good and you always knew that you had something. But sometimes it takes kind of, you know, coaching or the right situation, the right school for, you know, your maximum yeah. potential to be reached. How how do how would you advise a young athlete now in high school who wants to make it to, you know, Division One college, so to speak? How would you dev- uh, advise them in terms of what it is to look for? Because it seems like it's kind of the wild, wild west now. Some teams are recruiting. <laughs> you know, there's all kinds yeah. of stuff going on. Yeah, you know what? Um, how I would would advise young kids, uh, to be honest, now it's it, it's easier because the the it's film out there. I don't care who you play for, if your film shows that you can play, then you can play, mm-hmm. and and you can put it out there. So I, I would say, man, just just the work ethic, uh, that you put in and how you play on the field and to be coachable because the coaches are going to have to speak for you, you know, when colleges do come knocking, if they come not knocking. So you just have to be a, a good teammate. You got to be a somebody that's coachable and you got to be somebody that shows up on film and that's going to work hard and, and that's going to, you know, be a leader and, and again, just be an overall good player out there on the field for what, 
you know, when somebody's watching, because again, like I had to back in high school, like I had to go shop my tapes. I had VHS tapes. Like my, <laughs> listen, my, right. my college coach, he laughed because I actually saw him earlier this year. Well, no, late last year. He laughed about, about how bad my tape was when he, when he saw it. Right. right. That's funny. And, my, my, uh, I had the same experience with my, my high school tape. My, uh, we threw it together on VHS, and my uncle was sending it out to people. It's so funny right. thinking about it now, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but nowadays, kids, you can they got music to it. Right. You, got, you right. know, you, you can highlight yourself right. and circle and put flat. Like, it's, it's all different. So, um. So, you know, it's just, you know, standing out in, in that aspect. And I think standing out as a person, too, because they, they, you know, obviously now with social media, they can know who you are as a person before they even uh, kind of know who you are as a player. They can. Right. Uh, so uh, it's just standing out in those aspects, too. And so going from college to to the pros, right? Like you didn't know if you were going to get drafted. You ended up not being drafted, but getting picked up by Cleveland. Kind of explain that process um, and and how that worked in terms of, you know, how you not being highly touted, the agents may or may not have been coming to you. You might have had to seek them out, how that process was and how you how you dealt with that and how you stayed, you know, stayed confident in yourself through that process. Yeah. So that was interesting because, to be honest, I I thought I was going to get drafted uh, and I'll just start with uh, my junior year. We had a game against Sacred Heart, my last game, and Devrin Johnson, he was a wide receiver that played for Sacred Heart, and he was leading the nation in uh, yards per catch. And so everybody was like, man, this guy's so great, y'all. You got to watch film on him, Lee. I was like, I don't care. I'm going to destroy him. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter, right? right? And so um, I ended up – I mean, I did watch the film of him, and I was like, all right, you know, that ain't nothing. Uh, and then we played him and he had like two catches for like 15 yards or something. I right. don't know. You know, you can, you can look at, and I got an interception uh, right. versus him that year. He got drafted by the Dallas Cowboys for the, at, in the sixth round. So w when, and I didn't even notice, but we were like in spring ball and all my teammates came up to me, like in the training room, they were like, man, did you see Devin Johnson got drafted? They were like, you definitely getting drafted next year. I can't believe this. So <clears throat> but scouts coming to my games senior year. Um, and and I, I did think I was going to get drafted. Uh, pro day, like all the scouts were there. And um, but uh, it just didn't happen. Uh, so during the draft, teams were calling, um, but didn't obviously draft me. I, I remember one team, they called me. They had a lot of drafts draft picks in the seventh round and they were like uh we got some draft picks in the seventh round but you might not want to go to seventh round do you they called me and said that i said no and hung up mm. <laughs> um, wow. because because my agent told me that being a free agent was better was better. probably better than than being a late round pick and right. so because i got to pick where i could go and right. so and and so to be honest the reason why i picked cleveland was because uh my agent had a relationship with the the GM at the time. And he he just said, if Lee shows any flashes of what he did in college, he's guaranteed to be on a practice squad. So when he told me that, I was like, well, at least I'm going to 
I know I can play like how I played, you know, in college. Right. <laughs> right. That's what I did. That's what right, I did. Right. And I did. So I'm, I'm definitely going to have a job. So then that's, that's really why I chose Cleveland. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they always told me not to go for the team that was paying me the most money as far as signing bonus. And I didn't. But Cleveland actually paid me the most signing bonus. It was it was nine thousand mm. dollars. And and even at, at that time, I thought I was going to get nine thousand dollars and I got. Fifty one hundred after taxes. Uncle <laughs> <laughs> Sam. Hey, but fifty one hundred from those—that's about a college refund check, right? Hey, exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was fifty one hundred that I didn't have. Right. You know, so. Right. So you have a relationship still. It seems like with the Browns or an affinity, I say, for the Browns still. And so I kind of want to ask you a, a couple questions about the Browns. Yeah. I know you still watch football and are still in tune. What What is your take on what? kind of happened with the Browns this season? And then also, what is your take on Baker Mayfield? Because one of the things that, you know, I've seen from former players a lot, either Browns players or not, is kind of, um, you know, there's been a little bit of disdain for the way Baker Mayfield kind of handles certain situations as it pertains to the players. Like, he got involved with, like, the Duke Johnson situation, and, you know, and then after the Miles Garrett situation, he had something to say. Uh, do you do you buy into him as a leader, or do you think that he oversteps his, his, uh, his bounds sometimes? Yeah, uh, you know, again, I'm not in the locker room, so I, it's only what he portrays yeah. out to us. And, you know, some of those things, I mean, I think he should keep his mouth shut or have a little uh, thought behind, you know, what he's saying mm -hmm. uh, before he says it. Um, you know, again, like you said, I do love the Browns. I mean, that's my, that was where I spent my first five years. Right. Uh, and I grew up. You know, just like him, Baker Mayfield. I mean, he was, you know, I was 21 year year old kid, pretty much. And and obviously, circumstances are different between him and I because he's he's, you know, I don't know how old he is, but he's young and and he's like pretty much the face of the team and the leader of the team. Quarterbacks are usually he, that. He's getting million dollar deals. We're struggling getting you five thousand dollar deals back then. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So so a lot so a lot is, you know. Is put on his plate, but I, but to be honest, I don't think he has to to respond, you know, to those types of things. You know, I mean, just keep it to football. Uh, you know, I mean, you look at uh, even just the quarterbacks uh, of of old. You know, when things are controversial, I mean, it's just stay away from it and just talk about football because, especially when the play isn't your play, isn't you know that great anyway mm. um and and whether whether it's great or not um you know that's just not something added things you want to involve yourself in you yeah. know um so so i just think i just think and cleveland's problem has been that man since since i've been there and since before that it's just been the quarterback the coach and the gms you like everything, <laughs> and it's funny because yeah. because looking at your career, right, and this is kind of where we go from here. You played for Cleveland and Detroit, two of the notoriously worst organizations, right, in the NFL. Then you you got the opportunity to play in New England, right, learn the Patriot and so way, and kind of I wanted to hear from you the differences between the cultures of say a team like the Browns and a team like the Patriots, and 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 how. You saw that even in, in in your time playing. Yeah, so that's that's how I can come to that conclusion is because I played for Cleveland, Detroit, and then went to New England to see kind of how it should be. 
Um, because I mean, when you, when again you look at it, you know, having a good quarterback, having a good coach, and having a GM that's on the same page, like that, they all have to be on the same page. Um, and 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 I would say even GM and coach because I I went through I had uh, I had two coaches in Cleveland, Bush Davis and Romeo Cornell, and so no, now Romeo Cornell was a great coach, but then the GM Phil Savage, like they weren't on the same page. Like they were drafting players that didn't fit in. The coaches may not wanted, right? And they wanted guys to play. The GM wanted guys to play that the coaches may not want to play. So it's right. you know it's it's back and forth, and it's like it's just dysfunctional. Mm. And so now when you go to you know I'm just gonna skip over Detroit because that's obviously dysfunctional. It was dysfunctional, <laughs> <then>. <laughs> right? Um, you know you you got two of the best guys uh, in in history of you know positions uh, retiring from this team. You know Calvin Johnson and Barry Sanders, right? You know, um, and they understand uh, the problems there. But mm. so then you go to New England, and you know, Bill. Even though Bill runs everything, um, you have to have one accord on things, and he he does everything that he feels what's best for the team, and whether people like it or not. Right. And you know, uh, obviously, he's the coach and he's the GM, so. Um and I, he has a team too, but but you know they they all come to one accord and, and they say here's what we're gonna do and you know they're gonna uh, fall in line with it and do it as they say it's gonna be done and you know let the chips fall where they may. Right. I mean, is everything that he does perfect? Absolutely not. Um, but listen, if you execute the plan then that's when you can have room for, okay, here's what we did wrong. Here's what we got to do. Right. But if it's just all over the place, you know, how, how do you know where to fix? Right. What do you know? Yeah. You know, so, so the thing is, um, it's just having everybody on the same accord. And I think that's what um, Cleveland needs. And, and they just haven't had it for a long time. I mean, you know, everybody knows about the quarterback situation is, you know, they have that, Jersey that right, that's all the thousand, you know, <laughs> right. quarterbacks on it, you know. Right. So, I mean, it's 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 a lot. Uh, Let me ask you a do. question about about Bill Belichick real quick too. He just made me mm -hmm. think of it. Uh, you know, when we see him in the in the media and doing interviews and stuff like that, he seems like you know very short, curt, you know, prickly kind of dude. He's a but, Yeah, he seems like an <laughs> asshole. But but when you talk to players. You know, they, they kind of have a different opinion of him. I and mean, they say yeah. sometimes he's even a jokester and does yeah. stuff like that. Do you have any stories or any any kind of just insight on that just to take us into the Bill Belichick that we don't see? Um, Well, uh, man, I mean, well, you're absolutely right. I mean, he's he's definitely different behind closed doors. He's all business, though, but he still has humor. I right. mean, I, I think uh, even his last interview, I don't know if, People saw it when the uh, the lady asked about, you know, the fans and going through thick and thin. And he was like, you know, I don't know if they've been through anything. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, like he does stuff like that. And uh, I, I would say even, you know, at the height of like Facebook and Twitter, like he just used to be like, y'all stay off the face bug. <laughs> you know, like right. he used to, he used to, you know, just come up with stuff to say like that funny. Yeah. Um, in front of the team. Uh I, I think he 
he treated Tom the way he treated everybody else. I remember my first, one of my first meetings. I mean, he was, he was like, Tom, just throw the fucking ball to the flat. What are you doing? Don't take the flat. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, wow. You know what I mean? It was, uh, and that type of thing know, sets does. the tone, right, for the for the whole team, right? You don't want favorites. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like that's absolutely. one of the issues in Cleveland, right? It seems like a lot of people feel like the GM, because he picked Baker and that's his, like, hand-picked guy, guy. that he has, right. he has a different set of rules yeah. than everybody else on the team. Exactly. Um, and that's what you can't have. The division, and, and that's one thing, too, that I forgot to even mention, is that uh, Bill just comes in and he 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 wants again even the team to be on the same accord. He knows what people are going to ask. He knows, uh, you know what message he wants people to send out, um, and and he 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 kind of gives that and he he lets everybody know that here's here's what we're going to say and and that's that's the way we're going to move forward because again when when one person feels like they can just go off and do their own thing, uh, again it just opens up a can of worms for the media to, you know, do this, that, and divide uh, and let you forget about what you are really there for. And it's really to, yep. to win football games. And that's really, that's the the sole importance uh, why, you know, the, the Patriot way is the Patriot way. But um, but just to go back to what you were saying, I mean, Bill, uh, he's, he's, he's a fun guy, um, but he definitely is about his business. And I mean, decisions, uh, could be done that you don't like. I mean, it was decision. I mean, he released me uh, in 2011 uh, for, you know, whatever reason it was, you know, I mean, I was injured, uh, but, but uh, they, they made it seem like, you know, I wasn't injured and, uh, but all in all, I mean, he felt like the way I was, you know, handling things wasn't conducive for the team. And and I wasn't, you know, because I was kind of disgruntled and, uh, you know, I, like I got an altercation with uh Brian Flores my last year there, mm. you know, in, in front of the whole team. Right. And, you know, obviously that's not something that he wants the young guys to see. Right. You know, but but uh, listen, I you know, I was at the my wits end of, you know, being injured. Nobody really listening to me. And, yeah. uh, you know. And I'm frustrated. Uh, yeah. And, you know, then, you know, you, you come at me. But sideways, you know, I'm not a rookie. Lee, let me you ask know? you something about that too, because you know, I've obviously we have a ton of friends that played in the NFL, and the injury thing is a, is a very interesting one because first of all, it seems everybody's at least hurt, right? If if you know throughout the whole season, and then the injury time seems like an even worse time, right? Because you it, you know I've heard that it's very lonely. I've heard that it's a very insecure period of time because of the yeah. NFL, no guaranteed contracts, all that type of stuff. How did you feel? You know how how did did you how did you deal with that? And, um, you know, the whole kind of injury thing. And what's your kind of perspective on on kind of like the non-guaranteed contracts as it pertains to football, too? Yeah, well, see, the thing is, I, I see both sides of the fence. I see why it can't be non uh, or, or it can't be guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll just speak on that briefly because, I mean, because just like you spoke about, I mean, people get injured. Mm-hmm. A lot of people get injured. So let's just say uh, I know there's a number out there and, and I may be wrong, but it's it's, it's like people average like having 13 guys on IR, mm. you know what I mean? So now let's say you got to go replace 13 other players with guaranteed contracts. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Now, now what's to say, you know, more people don't go get hurt. Now I got to, you know, guarantee. So that's, 
You know, that's um. But money doesn't make man. sense from a business standpoint. You're saying right from a business from a business aspect, mm-hmm. it don't make sense. Right. You know, as, as a business guy, you know me, I'm like, damn, you know, that's <laughs> right. I understand what you know. I understand what they're saying. Right. But then, as a player standpoint, I understand because, you know, you you want me to go out here and you know any play I can uh get hurt and then you gonna get rid of me and go get someone else. Right. And so and so it's no security in that. And and my health is, you know, I'm putting really my life on the line for you guys and and you can't, you know, guarantee me some money. Yeah. So so it so it's 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 so difficult. But as me as a player, that's what you do want. Um, but then like you talked about, uh it's difficult when you are injured because um, but see, I, I had guaranteed money. Yeah. And and but the thing is I still wanted to play because right. guess what? I mean, the window of playing football is but so long mm. mm-hmm. and so and then now you're questioning do they want you back right. uh they question now you questioning if they're gonna ask you to take a pay cut right and then do you say no right and if you say no they're gonna cut you yeah. you know if you say yes now you're lowballing yourself mm-hmm. i mean it's, it's just so many questions and uh uncertainties that you have when you're hurt right. uh and your job security is like are they gonna you know, give me my job back. Right. Uh, right. You know, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's so difficult. Um, but, uh, you know, I, that's what you signed up for, to be honest. Um, but, you know, and like I say to people, I would have never, I wouldn't change it. If I had to do it all again, I'd, I'd play football again. Cause right. that's just what I love to right. do. Yeah. Two, two, two quick football related questions before we move on. One is obviously playing corner. Um, you have a, a very unique look into what makes Tom Brady great, right? You went up against him in practice. What about him makes him so great um, from your perspective? Man, my perspective is uh, just like any other quarterback, he he studies, okay? But then he just doesn't make many mistakes mm-hmm. as far as uh, throwing the ball in the right place, knowing the defense that you're in, not being fooled by your defense. And even if you kind of fool him, he's quick on his feet to say, okay, here, boom, I got to go here now uh, when that's not here. Uh, he doesn't make many mistakes, uh, and that doesn't cost his team the game mm-hmm. a lot of times. And and he's efficient uh, with, with his throws, and he – he just he brings out the best in everybody. I just I remember even playing against him uh, in 2007. That was the first time I ever played against him. And I was at that season that they uh, went undefeated and lost in the Super Bowl. But uh, the way he was like demanding greatness from his O line, from his players, I had never seen a quarterback do that. Um, and it wasn't forceful. It wasn't like he was you know being demonstrative or you know it, but it was, people were receptive to it. Uh, but I think his character, um, I think, again, his ability to not make mistakes, and, and especially in pressure situations. And I think, and I, I do think that's because of Bill Belichick as well, of always practicing um, situations, different situations all the time in practice. And so it's like routine when right. those, uh, situations come up 
Yeah. So, so I think, you know, it's it's a great marriage between those two. But I think I think Tom, obviously, in game, he still has to, you know, not make the throws or make the throws. And I think he he makes all of them when when he needs them. Yep. And, and the last question, you know, I, I remember this pretty vividly. It's like I knew how good you were just watching you play and playing in that division that you played and going against the receivers that you went up against. But I still remember vividly like. Chad Johnson at the time, Chad Ochocinco coming out and saying that you were the best corner that he he had to face mm-hmm. in the NFL. And I think, how did that feel to, you know, first of all, to have an opponent and somebody at that level who received that type of attention say that about you? And then how much do you think that that kind of helped? Because shortly after that is when you started getting the, you got the big money contract, like, for someone to finally give you that respect, you kind of been looking and and to come from the, at the time, probably the best receiver in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, I mean, he was the top receiver uh, as far as even receptions in a, in a past, you know, in a five year span and to be able to play against him twice a year and to be able to, to hear somebody like that say that is, is what, I really played a game for. I never really played it for uh, money. I played it for the respect of yeah. my peers, of the coaches. Um, and again, just talking earlier, just about, you know, when people like that's what I, I yearn for, you know, hearing somebody say, man, this this dude is good, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, and so then to have Chad say it, um you know, and, and it was nothing but respect because, you know, I, I mean, I saw him out in uh, just in Miami one time and we had a, a, a nice conversation uh, just about, you know, the receivers I faced. And but but just uh, to again, to hear from him, uh, you know, that's that's kind of all all I needed, I guess, um, because he, he was the top and and I felt like. You know, I, I had, you know, finally done something, even though in my mind, I felt like, you know, like you said, I always felt like I was a, a good player. But for him to say it was was really um, beneficial for me, like you said, not only uh, for my you know psyche, I guess, but even for, you know, monetarily that, you know, uh, the teams are, you know, listening to Chad Johnson because he was a he was a vocal guy. Right. Right. Uh, Help the, the brand as well. Right. The Lee Biden brand. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I did I capitalize, you know, then not not, not as I should have, you know, but but, you know, I, I, I wasn't really a, a, you know, a talkative guy. I didn't really. And, and again, social media wasn't, you know, back then uh, as it is now. But I think if, if I was in the, the era of social media, you know, I mean, could I have. Like that, that could have possibly helped me make a Pro Bowl or something like right, that. Right. You know, um, because uh, my 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 last year in Cleveland, I mean, a lot of guys made the Pro Bowl, but I didn't make the Pro Bowl. But I, you know, I was like fifth in the league in interceptions at, at six, and I think I played, you know, pretty well. And I had a, you know, a lot of PBUs, but you know, it didn't happen just because of, you know, a, a lot of other bigger names out there right. than, than than Lee Biden. Right. You know. So, so let me ask you one last football question before we switch gears. Uh, you just made me think of actually V made me think of it with his question. Who was the like the one receiver that you played against that I guess before the game? I know you were a confident dude, and I know you probably believe you could shut anyone down. <laughs> but but 
you were that you were like, fuck, man, I gotta go against him today. Like, was there was there one or two or any guy, multiple guys that you felt like that about? Um, I mean, I, I would say Chad was was one, yeah, because just because of his ability to get out of his comebacks. Mm-hmm. And his routes, his footwork um, is insane. Yeah, his crazy. footwork is was insane. Yeah. And I, I'll tell you, even like I remember in New England, he came to New England when I was there, and I remember Chad, uh, no, uh, uh, Tom. He was like, man, whenever we call a comeback to him, I'm throwing it to him, you know, because you know, shit, he he's always open it in in them comebacks, pretty much, mm-hmm. you know, because he gets out of them so well. But um, I, I would say him just for that reason because it's like. I mean, you don't know if he's going deep because he's running just as fast on his comebacks as he is on his, you know, go routes. Right. That's and yeah. so, you know, it's just so difficult um, to, to guard him in that aspect. I mean, Andre Johnson as well. Yeah. He was one that, I mean, because he was just so strong, fast. Big. Yeah. Big, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, he was one of them. And did um, you ever play against Randy Moss? Yes, I, I did. I did. But see, uh, I played against him in New England in that 2007 year. Okay. But I actually only had to guard him a couple of times. Okay. Uh, but so to me, a lot of the tall receivers, like I, I didn't really fear. Right. Because what? I feel like I can get my hands on him a lot. And I played against him when he was in Oakland, too. Mm. You know, I know a lot of people say yeah, that I was Oakland, but, you know, it, it, it was. But right. um, And you went up against Calvin but, Johnson a lot, too, in practice, right? In practice, yeah. And so he he was an animal. You yeah. know, he yeah. was an animal in practice. But I, I just never faced him in a game. Uh in a game. His rookie year, we, we I played against him in preseason, but you know, that's really nothing. But but I still feel like like you asked me the the kind of kind of fear or just doubt or you know, whatever, thinking like, oh man, what am I gonna do this mm. week? Bigger receivers never did that for me because I felt like I could get my hands on them and I could stay in front of them That's uh, for the most part. It was, it was like, you know, shiftier, smaller receivers. Like I remember Wes Welker when I played him in 07, that was one. And I was like, man, what the hell am I, am I going to do? With this <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you know, but then I, right, I was like, man, I'm not quicker than them. So I'm just going to have to use my length and my strength uh, and see who wins that battle. Right. You know, so right. so that's really how I went about, you know, most of those things with those receivers. So let's switch gears a little bit, too, because, you know, we talked a lot about football, but, you know, there's a lot more to you than just football. And I think that, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, it seems as though is part of your uh, post NFL career kind of mission is, you know, to kind of be vocal about certain things that you see injustices that you see. Um I hate to use the word activist because I think when people hear that word, they think of like Malcolm X coming with like yeah. AK-47, you know, but right. they're, 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 they're different ways to, you know, to, you know, kind of champion issues. And that seems like that's become something that's very important to you. How do you feel like, um, you know, or, or is that important to you? And why, why is that important to you to do that, to kind of do that now? Um, no, I think it's definitely important. Uh, because of even even though just like those those two names that you spoke about, uh, at this time in this day and age, we don't necessarily have those specific leaders that that people can run to. I know you know it's a lot of groups out there and and things like that, but uh, but I and the more and more people do speak up, 
about things, I think the more it'll, you know, it, it will help. Uh, so just, just doing my part, uh, in opening people's eyes on certain situations is, is always important. Uh, but I, but I do think, uh, you know, it, it does take a, a Martin Luther King or Malcolm X in order for things to kind of, uh, move in, in the right direction. I mean, and and you see what was done to those leaders, though. You know, um, and, and maybe that is one of the reasons why you know there aren't any you know kind of leaders kind of stepping up to to take charge because of that. But um, but but I, I just feel like it's important just because um we still in a time where uh, especially you know Black America is is uh you know, still living in the past, mm-hmm. I would say. And and although it's not in the forefront of, you know, dogs getting sicked on you, uh, but, you know, obviously, you know, it's, it, in a lot of people's eyes, especially black people's eyes and, you know, um, you know, maybe people that do see it for what it is. I mean, it's, it's just as bad, you know, I mean, when they're, you know, killing unarmed people still, still, uh, searching people uh that don't need to be searched um you know and, and just being treated less than uh a u.s citizen right you know, at, at times and when you were playing when you were playing did you feel as though did you feel like kind of an obligation to or not necessarily an obligation but a pressure on some level to kind of be silent about certain things or not necessarily be as vocal because you didn't want to upset the yeah. car or anything like that did you feel that yeah absolutely yeah absolutely and and so uh especially me coming in as an undrafted free agent i mean w- w- what do i look like coming in you know i'm an undrafted free agent okay i mean it's a revolving door in the nfl you know everybody knows it's stanford not for long mm-hmm. uh, they, they can get rid of you know little old lee Biden, and who cares so so if, if little old lee Biden is sit up here trying to be an activist and uh and trying to speak up for social injustice, what are they going to do? Okay, so you don't want to play football? You want to be an activist or you want to – okay, go ahead. Go mm-hmm. right ahead. Mm-hmm. They'll just they'll just sit you down, and then now my career is done. Right. You know? Um. So – and that's – so they – you know, indirectly, they silence you. You know, I mean, you can't really speak up, Uh, you know, even though that – you know, listen, that was in my mind. Well, because, you uh, know, one thing that's interesting, Lee, is that – you know, and a lot, you hear this on social media a lot, and people are like, "Well, I can't say anything of my job, so why should they be able to?" But I think there's a difference, right? Because yeah. in corporate America, the average person in corporate America is unknown, right? So they don't right. have microphones in front of them, and they aren't being mm-hmm. asked questions. That that right. is, that is, as well, and, and you guys are actually, you know, public figures, and people like V mm-hmm. said, people actually ask you guys questions, and and not just that, but you also have a platform where people do listen and care what it is that you have to say. So I don't think it's the same as every typical corporate America job where you can't just say whatever it is that you want to say, but there are still certain aspects of it that are corporate America. And it does seem Mm -hmm. as though you do have to make a decision, right? Because whether this is right or wrong, right, which is a, is another discussion, which we could obviously have, this is kind of the reality. And so you are faced with that decision as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, you definitely hundred percent faced with that decision. And, you know, a lot of people aren't going to make that decision. You know, they, you know, that's their job. They want to keep that job. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's it's only, you know, here for a limited time. 
So, uh, you know, but then, you know, again, you have guys like the Kaepernick's that had reached the height of whether monetarily, uh, fame-wise, that he could step up and say, hey, you know what, enough is enough. Right. And, you know, here's where I stand. And, you know, and, and it, it takes a lot to do that. And but it takes it takes that. Also to, security. To, you have to, to have the security. Right. Feel the security. Exactly. And, and then be willing to give it up. Right. You know, what I mean? that's kind of that's, that's kind of how um, Muhammad Ali was. Right. I mean, he didn't necessarily have the financial security right. uh, of Kaepernick. Right. Or someone like that. But he definitely was like secure in who he was and what he was standing for and what his name was and what he had built up to that point where he was like, all right, you want to throw me in jail, throw me in jail. It's all good. You know, that's a different level of enlightenment. I would say that's really being in touch with your principles and knowing what they are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, it takes a special individual to be able to do that. Uh, and it's just, it's just unfortunate that, but I, I think, I think in a lot of people's, in guys' minds, they would want to do, you know, what Kaepernick did or, you know, what a Muhammad Ali did. And, uh, but, uh, and, and to be honest, Muhammad Ali was kind of, you know, put in the corner, you know, she, like it was the draft and he like, I'm, I'm not going right. to yeah. no draft. Right. You know I mean? Right. Like, <laughs> see, I mean, listen, if, if I was, if, you know, this, this war with Trump and all that, if they try to draft me, I'm going to jail too. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if, if I'm an athlete. Right. So, um, but I, I just feel like, uh, you know, a lot of these athletes would do it, but they aren't willing to lose and sacrifice. And that's, that's the one thing uh, just talking about in, in even this, you know, the active activism and, and just being socially, you know, kind of, uh, in tune with what's going on, like a lot of people aren't willing to sacrifice uh, for the greater good of the people. Because in all actuality, I, I feel like, you know, especially black people aren't in the state of where we were, you know, in the 60s. You know, I mean, because because there are some black families doing good, mm-hmm. you know, I mean. And so so, you know, it's like, ah, uh, you know. I'm okay now, so I don't really need to fight no more. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But but it's still it's still a fight that needs to be fought for the people that are are still going through this stuff. Well, I actually want to transition to something too because it it it, it kind of relates to this as well, and that's kind of uh, entrepreneurship, right? And yeah. saving money mm-hmm. and wealth building, right? And that also seems like something that obviously is important in every community, but obviously important in the black community. But you you seem to be somebody who you know. You know, a lot of stories you hear about athletes, you hear about all oh, athletes, they blow their money and, you know, 80% of them are broke and bankrupt, you know, five years after retirement. That's not a story we hear about Lee Baden. And so it seems like as though, you know, you have, you know, I don't know your pockets, but it seems as though you're not in that situation. Well, and- yeah. And it's also like one thing I noticed about you, you do have a, a business degree as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just how you approach money, you have always been disciplined and structured in how you do things. Like you weren't the guy going to the club blowing 20 grand, you know what I nope. mean? Uh, yeah. and, and you were okay with that. Right. So it's not just that you were able to do it, but you were also able to avoid a lot of the pitfalls and pressures that come along with being a pro athlete and seeing what's happening in the locker room and what other guys are doing. You can just take through like how you did that. Right. And then also like the advice you'd have for some of these young guys 
that are going into the league to avoid some of these pitfalls that you say, Oh, I got a, I got $2 million checks. So it doesn't matter if I blow 20 grand, you know what I mean? Yeah. I I mean, it's, I've, I've always been like that with money just because I've always just, um, I like, I like stacking money. You know, I, I like, uh, you know, having, <laughs> having things, you know, at the end, right. you know, uh, and, and that's just the way I thought about it. And obviously coming in as a undrafted free agent, that was beneficial too, because, you know, when you walk in and see these guys making the money, even the guys that I, I so I was a cornerback. Right. And so it, we actually drafted two guys, uh, one in the third round, one in the fifth round, uh, Chris Crocker and Mike Lehan. And I believe like Chris Crocker got like 700,000, you know, um, sign a bonus and Mike Lee hang got like 300 something thousand. And so, um, and then seeing it, then to start to see the checks that these other veterans got, like, that's what I just kept working towards because I didn't have it. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, you know, I need to get, you know, these numbers in my head. Uh, and I, I had these numbers in my head and I, that's what I wanted. And I knew that, uh, and I, I also had a monetary value of, what I wanted to have at the end of my rookie year, mm-hmm. as far as uh, net net money, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Uh, and so I, I saved towards that. Like uh, my rookie year, I, I I lived like a savage. Like all I had was I had a a two bedroom apartment, and I had a a TV stand and a TV. Uh, okay, you're talking about the old definition of savage, not this millennial <laughs> definition of savage. Yeah, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Like, I lived like a, like, like a TV and a TV stand, right. a bed and a bed frame, and I had like a beanbag that the Cleveland Browns gave I remember, us. I came over to that crib a yeah. couple of times. You had the video game uh, system, yeah. and that was it. It was like a college That's dorm, it. almost. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, because everybody thought you was going to be rich. I mean, listen, I mean, did I buy clothes? Yes. Did I have a, a you know, a, a, a Denali? Yeah, because I wanted a truck. Mm-hmm. But those are the things I spent. I, I didn't go lavish on uh, any diamonds, any um, uh, anything extra out of the ordinary and, and pay for something before I got the money. I always, that's one thing too, is that I, I never had credit. And so like I had to get a, uh, uh, what do you call that thing? Like my uncle had to co-sign on my car because I didn't have any credit. Oh, Gantor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but so I, I just did not like owing people money. So I just felt like when I when I got the money, I'm gm save it, and whatever I have left over, I'm gonna pay for whatever I want, and that was it. And 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 it just stuck with me. Um, and I saw a lot of guys come in, rookies, blow their money on all these clothes, all this jewelry, all this two cars, you know, a big house. Like you don't even know if you're gonna be there next year. Right. You don't even know if you're gonna be there next week. Right. Right. Like, what are you right. doing? Right. You yeah. know what I mean? And and it's just the the persona that people want to put off. But listen, you, listen. If you know I play in the league, you know I play in the league. Then you know I, I'm getting some checks. Right. Like, right that's all right, you need to know. Right. right. Like, you yeah. don't need to know how much. Or I mean, but it, everything is public information, if especially nowadays. But uh, well, I think I, it's sad. What, what you're saying like, is is also can, kind of sad too, because I think you know a lot of guys come from you know, and this is somewhat stereotypical, but it's somewhat true. A lot of guys come from environments where they didn't really have a lot, 
And so that is kind of the signal to the world, like, oh, I, I've made it now. Is now I have this car or I have this chain or whatever. And I think that there probably should be more that can be done um, to kind of combat that with, you know, I know they try to do some stuff at the NFL Rookie Symposium now and have workshops and have different guys come in and talk and stuff. And But financial literacy is something that and it's not even just an epidemic in the NFL. I think we should dispel that rumor, that like, you know, lie real quick. Yeah. They say like, it's, what percentage of people, if they needed a thousand dollars tomorrow, they could. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They couldn't. They say couldn't it again. Come. I think it's what is it? What percentage? Like seventy to eighty percent of people in America, if they needed a thousand dollars tomorrow, couldn't come up with it. Right. Wow. Yeah. So it's not just an NFL thing, but I do, I yeah. do think the NF when you are in an industry that is dishing out that those large sums of money, the responsibility, and you kind of understand the demographic uh, and the socioeconomic kind of background of a lot of the of a lot of your employees, I do think it, it's incumbent on you to kind of take more responsibility and to try to make sure that some of those things don't happen. Yeah. Uh, and, but like you said, it's, it's difficult when uh, what you see out there is, you know, the, it's still, it's still that the big cars, the, you know, the diamonds, the this and that. And, uh, and social media has made it worse, right? Right. Absolutely. The clothes. And, and, and again, to be honest, it's nothing wrong with that, but it's, I mean, you don't need 50 of them. You mm -hmm. don't need 50 chains. You don't need, I mean, you know, treat yourself because, because listen, you, especially making it to that uh, place in the NFL or NBA, whatever it is. I mean, you deserve to, yeah, you, you made some money, man. You deserve to spend it, but you don't, you don't need to spend it all. Right. Yeah. Um, they, you know what I mean? Because people, people say, oh man, just because somebody, uh, bought a fifty thousand dollar chain like they rich. Listen, they they fifty thousand uh, dollars less rich. rich. <laughs> right. exactly. You know what I mean? Right, right. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. I mean, unless you know, you got a you know a lot a lot of it, you know. But I mean, do you you know do you necessarily need it? And and is that you know kind of getting in the way of you know what your end goal is, man? And the end goal isn't to have all this jury and all these clothes because you know what is it all going to do for you at the end of the day and you gotta live uh, more more of your life after your career that's the whole thing and now a lot of guys don't think about while they're playing it's like hey, your career is over at 30 to 31 if you're lucky right the average yeah nfl length is like two to three years if you're lucky you make it to 30 and then you gotta live 50 right 50 years after that uh, and, and those and those fifty thousand dollar checks ain't coming in no more. Right. right. You know what I mean? And so that's that's why you save those fifty thousand dollar checks when you playing for when they're not coming in and and you can still live like those fifty thousand dollar checks is coming in. Right. Lee, and that's what you and, got it. That's what you got to plan for. And I think first of all, this, it's great to even hear hear from you, someone who's actually done it, because it's a lot different when you, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about it, like even on social media, but people who've never been in that position. So when you hear from someone who's actually done it, it, it makes it all the more powerful. Uh, before we get you out of here, though, you know, thank you so much, first of all, for joining us on the Pilot Boys podcast. This has been a great interview. But one thing that we like to do before we, you know, let people go is we like to do something a little, a little bit more fun, a little bit more lighthearted. We like to get two different lists. So I'm going to start and I'm going to ask you one question and V will ask you another one and then we'll get you out of here on that. Um, All right. Our first question is, 
your top five artists of all time, music artists. You you can put yourself on the list too. Yeah, I, know, I know you got bars. Yeah, we know you got bars. So you know, uh, don't be shy if you want to put yourself on there. But yeah, top five artists that kind of uh, I'd say that are like inspirational people that you know kind of influenced you in your in your life at any point in time. Yeah, so that's it's it's so difficult because it's it's ever changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because like even ten years ago, you know. You, you could ask me and, you know, it'll be a little different or even 20 years ago, kind of. But uh, but I, I would say um, I would say Pac, he's always my number one guy mm-hmm. just just because of, you know, just his uh, again, this is pretty much his active, his activism, his the way he spoke, his poems, you know, wh- what he's still for, et cetera, et cetera. Not being um, afraid to be himself. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he grew up in that kind of Black Panther stuff. So he understood and knew, uh, you know, kind of what was going on and, and kind of informed the people, I, I would say. Uh, man, um, Nas, mm-hmm. Nas, just because because some of his, you know, songs and albums, man, helped me through, you know, some tough times. I listened and, to Illmatic I, yesterday. <laughs> real, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just just inspirational. And that's, that's one thing. Uh, shit, I was going to put Lauryn Hill on the list because, mm-hmm. you know, like she... She's a rap. She's a rapper. Like she always like one of her songs. She was like, "Music is supposed to inspire," and that's what really music does for me. And it it always has. So, um, but right. so I go. I got Pop Nas, and I guess there's no really order. Bob, mm. and I, I just I just Bob slept on. He's very very talented. Yeah, he's he he's, he slept on man, and he's so talented. Yeah. Uh, his his wordplay, uh, his his knowledge, you know, of things. Uh, it's just it's 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 really dope the way he puts you know songs together. Um, J Cole mm. is another one, um, just because of just again kind of the same thing. So that's what we at four five, and uh, listen, just because of how Jay Z, you know, I, I'm just not a fan of how things transpire with the whole NFL thing, I, and I know this ain't like. This shouldn't be like the Hall of Fame, no, you know. They, yeah, no, they didn't, they didn't put it. T- yeah, it's not part of it. But uh, no, it's all part of it, though. I think everything about an artist, I, you know, that, that yeah, no, I, I think so. That's yeah, that's why I'm a, that's why I'm gonna keep them off my list. Mm. But and 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 what's crazy, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put Kanye on my list. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> that 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 that's what I, you, I say all that, <laughs> and then you, that. and then all you right. say Kanye, and, and I put Kanye, because <laughs> because of. Just uh, you know, that's 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 either here nor there. Like that's another topic we could you know get on. But yeah, like he he didn't went back forth. But I I feel like uh, you know, he's just sometimes misunderstood. But you know, the messaging of what he has always been trying to say, I feel like uh, is is beneficial to people in in his music. Yeah, gotcha. gotcha. Yep. And uh, the other one, which which is interesting, your top five athletes of all time or right now of all time of all time, the ones Man, that have had the most inf- influence on you. Uh, well, obviously, uh, MJ, uh, just because of you know just growing up and seeing the titles, seeing you got to uh, meet him, right? Yeah, I did get to meet him uh, um, twice actually. Wow. Um, and, and got to talk to him, you know, just about some of the the times of, you know, the the game the game sixes, and mm. you know, I, I can tell you, I remember he he told me, I was like, well, man, uh, 
why didn't you or why why didn't you shoot those shots when uh when you passed it to Curry? He was like, Well, because it wasn't game seven. Oh wow. That's such a thing to say. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, wow, okay. Right. Wow. <laughs> but but yeah, um, I would say shit, Tom Brady. Tom mm. Brady, um, just because one, I played with the guy and just to see his greatness, to see it transcend for for 20 years. Right. Um um, I would say Jim Brown mm. too, because another guy you've got to spend some time with, right? Exactly. Having to spend some time with Jim Brown in Cleveland, hearing him talk about just his time in the NFL, his time in uh in life, his transition, you know, um helping me through, you know, being a young athlete, like uh and just and just knowing his history of, right. of just the NFL. Uh, acting, all that activists. Um, uh, I, I would say even man, LeBron James. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You know, as an athlete, and, and like you talked about, just him being, you know, what he's done uh, for the culture, for you know, building that school. You know how he is, even as a dad right now, and showing people, you know, how uh, you know, being a dad. Uh, of an athlete, you know, and mm-hmm. while he's still being an athlete and, and then, uh, you know, creating these platforms as far as, uh, you know, his show on Showtime. Right. Um, I, and, and still doing it at a high level, you know, shit, he went to eight finals. Right. Right. Something like that. Uh, oh yeah. That's ain't a real. Yeah. That's, I think that's four. Four. One more. That's, that's four. Uh, man. I'm so going to be surprised if you don't mention one. I am. I'm gonna say it afterwards. I'm not gonna say it now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> pressure. Oh uh, yeah, that's pressure. That's pressure. <laughs> um, man, it's ah, damn. I would say I. I would say I would say, Usain Bolt. Mm-hmm. Um, because of and I, I'm Jamaican too. So mm-hmm. what what he did for Jamaica, and um. His longevity, uh, I think, I think that's he'll, he'll have, and, and just what he accomplished, three straight uh, Olympics. Um, yeah, that was the all time. He's the incredible. fastest man in the history of the world. I mean, did he get it? V? Yeah. Did he no, get it? I'm surprised you didn't say Ali, brother. Ah, and so, <laughs> damn, I don't even. Damn, and, Ali's and, on a different list, right? He's on a different list. He, he is, yeah. and so, uh, so it, it was two. It was two. So even like the Jackie Robinson and and the the um, Muhammad Ali, like those two, more and, than athletes, more than athletes. yeah, like they're, they're more, but but they are they are my favorite. They are favorite athletes because of just what they what they did. I mean, um, shit. I mean, like you said, what Muhammad Ali what Muhammad Ali did earlier, like we talked about transcending to sports, um, you know, kind of taking his two years off of through his prime, um, not really caring, but sacrificing it for a, a greater good is, okay. um, you know, shit, that's, that's important, man. So shit, you know, uh, like I would have to scratch somebody, <laughs> right. somebody off the list, you know, but, but you know, yep. these lists are always, you know, they all are difficult, man. Yeah. Um, La- last question before we get out of here, because I think it's 
you know, part of our brand is being Pilot Boys is actually going out and seeing the world, something that we encourage people to do, something you're a big proponent of and something that I've admired about you is taking you and your family. You guys go on trips, you see the world, the importance of that and, 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 and telling people out that are listening why that's important to you and why that's important for people to do more of. Yeah. I think it's important for everybody to see the world um, because we're so trapped in America and uh, think that this is it and think that certain things are so bad and uh, the happiness uh, just equates to again all these material things but then when you go to these other countries and you see the happiness that they have without all this uh the materialism that we have in america and it's just genuine uh joy that they have through conversation through um just little things throughout life yeah. Um, my my kids got to see other kids, uh, you know, in lesser um, light than them, and but they can share just experiences, and and even the language barrier is is gone, but they can kick around a soccer ball and play tag, and uh, you know, jump over sticks, and you know, just do some of the simple things in life, and I think here in America, things are so complicated, uh, through, through a lot and the simplicity of around the world shows, uh, you know, just a different side and, and, and how we can live like that, but we're just programmed to, to live how we are now. And, and I think my, my kids, uh, I mean, their favorite trip is to Tanzania, and that's pretty much uh, that was the Serengeti, and that's I mean, that's just nature. It was 100% nature in the wild, and uh, you know, minimal people, but uh, just quality of of life and quality of of interaction. And I, I think you know a lot of people should go uh, because of that, just to experience it. Yep. You know, just to know that th- that it's different. You know, it's different, and and different is. Is good. And Lee, that's a that's you know, you know, one last thing I'll say on that too. I think it's what you're saying is spot on. And you know, V and I are, are avid travelers. We've both been kind of all over the world. And I'm Nigerian. And I remember when I was like wow. 10, 10 years old, we went to Nigeria and we went to my mom's village. I'll never forget this. I remember this like it was yesterday. And I brought a soccer ball and a pumped Ooh. soccer ball, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And I was the most popular person in that village. I mean, people were coming. I, I don't even know where everybody came from. Like, it didn't even seem like there, there are that many places where people could live. And literally, that was like one of the best days of their lives. And I was just right. like, wow. Like, just the fact that I brought a soccer ball. These, I mean, it's an appreciation. It, it, it's an amazing, an amazing thing. Having an said. appreciation for the things that we take for granted here. You mm-hmm. see that when you go to places that they don't have as much. I saw that a lot in India as well. And that that shapes your world perspective and gives you some empathy toward people. And it will, it even helps us deal with some of the problems that we deal mm-hmm. with here, right? Exactly. So Lee, that, that was great, man. Listen, you are you are an awesome dude, man. We love following you. Um, we love the trajectory of your your career, how it started and, and where you've you know you've gone post NFL. 
Uh, this has been an amazing interview. Hopefully you'll join us again on the Pilot Boys podcast at some point. And um, yeah. everybody definitely check him out at Lee Bodden. That's on Instagram and Twitter, if I'm not mistaken, right? Lee Bodden. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Mecca Man V, I appreciate y'all, man. I definitely would love to, you know, come on again. You know, whenever you guys want to have me, man, let me know. Uh, because, you know, again, we're like-minded individuals. And, I, you know, I, I know we, you know, have a lot uh, other things we can we can speak about sure. or expound upon, you know. So just, uh, you know, whenever you guys uh, want to have me, man, I, I'll be definitely here for you. Appreciate, Appreciate it, man. it, man. Be blessed, man. Take care. Uh, you too, guys. Thank you. Love the Pilot Boys podcast? Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1. We have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys podcast. Show us some love today. Talk to him. Don't lie to me, baby. You may never live the big life. Talking about me, boy. Then you better get this shit right. Stay down with my day one. I don't never have to think twice. Come roll with a real one. I'll show you what it feel like. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. A couple quick news and notes. V, LSU is a five-point favorite against Clemson this Monday. What do you think about that? If I was a betting man, I'd be taking Clemson straight. <laughs> yeah, 100%, right? Uh, no respect for Clemson, right? I'm sure Dabo's playing that up in the locker room. Uh, the XFL starts in February. Got some former Buckeyes in there, Cardell Jones being one. Are you looking forward to that? What do you think about that? You know, the fact that it comes in that lull, like after basketball season's over, the summertime's terrible for sports. So it'll be good to just see some football. Yeah. And it seems like they got some talented guys in there. And it's, let's see what 12 gauge can do. Yeah. They have a couple of new rules also. I think they're uh, one point, two point, and three point different conversions that you can get depending on where you decide to take the ball from. So it seems like they got some real football guys. Like Bob Stoops is a coach. Mm-hmm. They got. Um, Andrew Luck's dad is like the 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 GM of the league, I think. Yeah, so. I think if you're trying to be taken seriously, you have to do that nowadays. You know. Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. Obviously, speaking of football, their NFL coaching changes a bunch. Uh, Matt Rule just got a bag from the. Uh, I don't understand that. Like, I understand getting a job, but sixty-two million dollars yeah, for, for a the guy, Panthers, right? For for a guy that hasn't won anything, right? Like. He's a program builder, but has he won? He hasn't won anything yet. So yeah, yeah. and then you have uh, Joe Judge, who's <laughs> that one? That one. <laughs> now the head coach of the Giants. Here's here is his uh, his resume. He was a grad assistant at Mississippi State, linebackers coach at Birmingham Southern, special teams assistant at Alabama, special teams and wide receiver coach at the Patriots, and now the head coach of the New York Football Giants. And 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 the thing that that bothers me about that one specifically is that. You look at a guy like Eric Bieniemy, mm-hmm. right? Like if I'm looking for a coach, why would I not want to hire the the orchestrator of of probably the most dynamic offense in the NFL? And that's what. And then Leslie Frazier, right, the defensive coordinator from from the Bills. You have to ask the question whether or not this rooting rule is really working. Well, here's the other thing you mentioned, Eric Bieniemy. Here's his resume. In contrast, running back coach of Colorado, running back coach of UCLA, running back coach of the Vikings. OC and assistant head coach of the Vikings, OC at Colorado, running back coach of the Chiefs, and now offensive coordinator for the Chiefs. Yep, and Andy Reid has put his stamp on him as well. That should hold some weight, too. He'll get his shot at some point, I believe, but it probably should have been before now. 
Uh, moving on, also the charges against the baby for his Dallas airport fight were dropped. That's good. Uh, I think uh, free the baby is good for music. It is. The baby just needs to needs to calm down a little bit, but we need him. We want to hear his music, and he has a lot to say on social media that's good, too. Right. And then one other thing, uh, entertainment, Fox, you know, the mass Singer. I know you like that, that, that show. Yeah, it's a really good show. I was surprised by it. Yeah, and so now they're going to come out with something called The Hidden Dancer <laughs> <No>. <laughs> with, with Ellen DeGeneres. So now people are going to be dancing in costume. <laughs> Chris Brown gonna be is Chris Brown gonna be on there? Oh no! Maybe but, you, know, look, you know those Michael Jackson conspiracy theorists that think he's still alive. Maybe he might be the mass dancer. It's crazy because you know people come out with all these different types of shows, and these contest shows are or whatever are so popular. So they just yeah. trying something new. So we'll see. My money's on MC that. Hammer winning the first season. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and then the last thing with Ricky Gervais at the Golden Globes, and that was Man, funny, wasn't it? It was hilarious and. I love when when entitled people like Hollywood they get a brow beating like like he gave them. Yeah, and uh, especially watching their faces too. They, yeah. <laughs> they weren't ready for some of the stuff. That I, he was I mean, I just can't believe that they 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 let him let him do that and say all those things that he said. But I think everyone needs a wake up call, and that was that was one that was well needed. Shout out Ricky Gervais for that. Yeah, that was funny. All right, you're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. Thanks for listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple and Spotify and follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Pilot Boys on YouTube. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Never been a hater. Boy, I didn't have time. Busy. Said I never been a hater. I never been a hater. Even when I didn't have mine. Back. I'm too cool for the dumb shit. Cool, I'm like ice. Too real for the fake love. I'm a real one, real one. Never scared to show face. Right, yeah, baby. For the makeup, ball like Zeke do, think like Jay does, buy the whole team up, team up, team up. You really can't play us, just like a marathon. Prepare for the long run. Try to outsmart me, crazy. I think you got the wrong one. Don't lie to me, baby. You ain't never lived a big life. Big life. Talking about me, boy. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. We are here with Zach Smith, former Ohio State wide receivers coach and now Menace to Sports podcast host. Welcome to the show, Zach. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. No problem. No problem. So let's jump right into it, man. You know, we talk a lot about college football here on this show. And one of the things that's kind of come up a lot recently, I would say within the last year or two, uh, is the transfer portal. And the transfer portal essentially is, you know, for an athlete who's on scholarship at a particular school, when they decide that they want to leave and potentially transfer to another school, they just put their name into this portal, and that kind of alerts the country that they're available to be kind of re-recruited again. Get out of jail free card. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, for me as an as a former athlete and a person who considers himself to be kind of pro at pro athlete, uh, it's a good thing, right? Because it gives guys a chance who may have you know, been falsely recruited or, you know, told a story during recruiting or to just seek another opportunity. These guys are young and you're only eligible for maybe five, up to five years and you got to kind of got to take advantage of it while you're there. Uh, but the flip side is that, you know, it can get abused, right, some way, shape or form. And so from my perspective, you know, it's a good thing. But I looked at it, I was like, hmm, Zach is a former coach. And, you know, that kind of changes the nature of, of this business entirely. And I wanted to get your perspective on it. 
Um, what do you think about the transfer portal? Yeah, you know, I I, I go back and forth. There, it's, it's I think the real issue with the transfer portal is a lot like the college football playoff committee. It's pretty much anything the NCAA does, right? There's no uniform uh, rule. Right? Yeah, it's. Tate Martell can transfer, and for no reason, he's eligible to play. Mm -hmm. And then a kid gets depression at Michigan, transfer to Cincinnati, not allowed to play. Right. It's like there's no – my issue with the portal is it's wild, wild west. There's there's no way – you enter it, and it's like, well, hopefully they let me play. Yeah. And uh, I do think it's – I'm with you. I'm pro the player. Right. So I think it's really good for the player. I mean, any coach can get up and leave. Any – you know, any support staff, anybody that they might have developed a relationship can their freshman year, they can that coach can just leave. Right. No penalty, no anything. And and it seems like a lot of this still comes down to money, right? The kids like Tate, who can afford a good lawyer, um, to figure out and make his case versus another kid who may not be able to afford the same how does that the legal side of this work? Is is that supported by the NCAA? Do they help with these guys getting the legal assistance they need. No, to- see, so the school that they're going to will help them find the attorney, and and no one will say it, but all these schools have a guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, he might, he probably cuts him a deal because his name's going to be in the paper. And uh, every school I was at had a guy, a go-to guy, and it was, it wasn't like the school paid for it. It wasn't like the guy was the eraser, right. but it's just a guy, yeah. a connection, you yeah. know. Yeah, right. and it's uh, so th- it's always the the school that's obviously getting the player that's going to help push it through. Right. But um, it's it's again, it's where are you transferring to? You yeah. transferring yeah. to Miami of Ohio? Right. They probably don't have the resources if you're transferring to Ohio State. Right. To yeah. to push it through, they don't know the same people. So it's 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 just an inequality in college athletics. Well, so, so that makes me think too, also about kind of the recruiting side of things, like the initial recruiting side of things when guys are coming out of high school, and whether or not this reality is actually going to change or kind of create checks and balances in a little bit in a way, the way coaches actually recruit and the things that they actually tell kids. Because I've heard stories time and time again of a recruit feeling like he or she was promised something and then they got to the school and that thing wasn't carried out. And now it seems like this may be a check to that type of thing. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's definitely, I mean, it was way harder to transfer five years ago. Mm-hmm. So any any kind of uh, maybe misleading in recruiting or, or just flat you know lies or promises, uh, if they're not upheld, it's definitely going to push a kid a lot closer to jumping in that portal. Right. And coaches need to be wary of it. But the, I'll tell you the, the one thing that that I don't like about it, and um, I've had a few conversations with college football players, current players, yeah. is coaches coach differently because of it. Mm. Yeah. Almost in fear of it. Mm. And you're taking away, I guess, a tool of development. It's hard coaching. Yeah. And, and I, I wouldn't. And competition. And, right? and competition. Yeah. And, I mean, to be honest, my whole style of coaching would, I, I don't know, I mean, the only the only thing I had going for me was I was always one hundred percent genuine and authentic. Yeah. Now I might you might not have liked me. I think everyone hated me when they were freshmen. Right. I mean, to a to a player. Yeah. Even the closest players that I have, the Paris Campbells, Austin Max, mm-hmm. hated me as freshmen. Yeah. Because I was so hard on them. It was so different. That I can't tell you how many kids probably would have jumped in that damn portal. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. So that's that's the thing that I look at now. Is I'm 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 interested in it because I feel like. Wow, this gives kids opportunities to go seek a better future. Just like V had mentioned before, coaches kind of have that opportunity to do so at will. And so why shouldn't players have that opportunity? But it's interesting to see how it will change college football. Yeah, and one other thing is like what you don't want to do is also remember again that these these are 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. One thing in life that we never want to encourage is quitting, right? And there are always valid reasons, but there are also at that age people who make excuses and not to throw anyone under the bus, but it seems like 
a guy that transferred to Miami seems to be more of an excuse maker than, okay, I'm going to go to the next situation versus sticking to it and fixing the problem. So like you said, Zach, it's like setting, setting rules and guidelines are the most important thing. What are valid reasons to transfer and what are invalid reasons to transfer and having that be clear, but it should be open and there should be the opportunity to do so. For sure. And I mean, I, I'm just sitting here as you're talking, thinking about it. I could go through my career and name probably seven of the best receivers to play in the last 15 years that probably would have entered the portal. Michael Thomas, for sure, when he redshirted as a sophomore. Devin Smith, for sure. Mm. Frustrations after his freshman year or sophomore year. Yeah. Um, Curtis Samuel, Noah Brown. Uh, Paris and Terry probably would have stayed. Johnny Dixon would have left, I'm sure. I mean, I could go to – you just think about the best players to play in the Urban Meyer era. Most of them probably would have wanted to leave. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. like – but look at the careers they had. Look what they're doing now. Would that have hindered it? Probably. Yeah, and that, but, but and I guess the flip side is, though, but when you look at college football, like, for example, just this year, and three out of the four teams oh, in the absolutely. college football playoffs had quarterbacks that had, that had transferred. You know what I mean? So you think about what, what would college football have been like if Justin Fields was still sitting behind Jake Fromm or, you know, Joe Burrow was sitting behind, I don't know who he'd be sitting behind, Tate Martell or whoever was here. Like, what would college football have actually been like? So obviously I think we all agree there are pros and benefits. It'll be something to kind of For look, sure. to look forward to. It's all about how it's regulated. I think the idea and concept is a good one. It's just really about how. We set the guidelines. I said for pros and benefits, well, and there needs pros to, and cons. Right. And, and, there, and there needs to be guidelines. Yeah. Right. And th- never mind how. How about we just create some, and yeah. then yeah. and then we can decide if they suck. Yeah. Let's yeah. Like, let's create something. Well, I, yeah. think, I think they will. And but but again, I guess the last thing that I'll say on this is it's hard because they are trying to use discretion in each individual situation, right? There there, there are different reasons why someone will win a transfer, and I think it's kind of like the I mean the court system we talk about. We don't when judges have discretion. We don't know, like, do you want someone to transfer? If someone's transferring because, God forbid, their their mother is sick and dying and they live in that city, that should be treated differently, potentially, than if someone's transferring because they don't like the, the new position coach that got brought in or something like that. So right. I think it will be hard to create kind of a uniform thing, but I do think that we could get closer to it than we have now. But let's switch gears for a second, too, because uh, one of the other things that I want to talk to you about is the draft, the upcoming draft and Ohio State. And, you know, obviously – there are players every year that come out of Ohio State that are going to be impact players in the NFL. It's amazing to see, actually, when you look across the NFL and almost every team, it seems like, has an impact player on their team that's an Ohio State Just look State at guy. what happened in the playoffs this weekend. How many turnovers were recovered by Ohio State guys? Exactly. How yeah. many big plays no, no. It, It's amazing. And so when you go into the this season, we know who the guys are that everyone's being talked about. The potential first-rounders, obviously Chase Young, Okuda, Arnett's being mentioned in the first round. Even saw J.K. Dobbins. In a mock yeah, draft, late first, in the first, yeah. late first. Uh, but outside of those guys, there's still a lot of other guys that kind of get ushered into the league in the later rounds, or sometimes undrafted free agents that make an impact. And I wanted to get your perspective on that. Are there guys that are kind of being not being talked about as much, or who are a little bit under the radar, who you think, in your evaluation, are going to have are going to be impact players in the NFL in this draft? Yeah, I think three guys on Ohio State's team that are that are not probably not going to be first rounders that are going to be NFL starters one day, and and you know, their impact then is you can measure it. I, you know, yeah. who knows if they're going to be Michael Thomas or if they'll just be, you know, a starter that, right. that, that has a good seven year career or whatever, mm-hmm. six year career. But the three guys that I really look at are Davon Hamilton is going to make an NFL team really happy. Mm. He's a monster. Inside. He's going to the draft this year. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so Davon and then uh, 
I look at Jordan Fuller for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have – he's probably not going to test outrageously well, so he'll slip to you know second, third round grade. Yeah. But he's one of the smartest football players. He's very instinctive. Yeah. He's a really, really good player. Yeah. And then Austin Max the third. I mean, yeah. you, you watched him when he was healthy. He yeah. looked like an NFL player. Yeah. He just was – he just – had nagging injuries. Right. He had a hamstring. And it, w- w- it wasn't like a chronic injury. Mm-hmm. It was a different thing. It was an ankle. It was concussion. It was a hamstring. It was several different things where it's not a concern. Right. But he just never really had that ridiculous year. Yeah. And so, I wanted to – I mean, it's it's good that you mentioned Austin Mack. I know you you know the receivers well, and specifically it seems like we've seen with, with um, Terry and with um, Curtis and with um, Michael Thomas that, okay, what they do at Ohio State – they kind of level up when they get to that next level. Why do you think that is considering a lot of times um, they're not necessarily getting the opportunities? I think Mike had 300 yards receiving his last year here at Ohio state. And well, I mean, to, how do they translate, translate that despite, you know, the limited, limited usage oftentimes here. Um, I think outside of Dwayne Haskins year, uh, there's, there's really two things. One is they're playing with an NFL quarterback. And no one has really done that at Ohio State outside of Haskins' year, yeah. right? And Justin Fields probably will be. But when you watch his film last year, he he looked like a, a third round quarterback, not a first round quarterback. Mm-hmm. And he probably will be next year. So yeah. that you know that's why he's back in school. You know that's right. why he's he's still got a career to play out. But yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. Michael Thomas goes and he gets Drew Brees. Now that he's in a, a pass happy league mm-hmm. with a quarterback that puts it on his left shoulder instead of his right shoulder. Mm-hmm. I mean, the pinpoint accuracy is. I mean, it's night and day for a receiver. Yeah. yeah. And I think the other thing is, is you're talking about they have a guy like Michael Thomas. He has all day, every day to do nothing but perfect his craft, get healthy, you know, get his body right and perform. Yeah. As opposed to going to class, doing tutoring and doing all this other stuff that right. he had to do in college. Right. And and that's a gift and a curse. But for a guy like Mike, that's going to enhance his game. Let me ask you a question, actually. You just made me think of something. You know, when we talk about – so right now there's, you know – uh, uh, it seems like there's a heavy correlation between teams that have the best recruiting classes, the five-star recruits, the four-star recruits, the Ohio State's, the Clemson's, whatever, and the success, you know, in college football. And obviously we know that just because you're a five-star, we talked about this before, doesn't mean you're going to be, you're going to pan out. But it does, there is a correlation between the success, the recruiting classes and the success that teams are having. How much do you think coaching, specifically in college, actually matters or determines the success that a five-star guy is going to have. For example, Chase Young, everybody wanted Chase Young. And theoretically, you know, obviously he loves Ohio State and Larry Johnson's a beast coach and all that. But in theory, you think no matter where he went, he would have been Chase Young. Is that true or or is this coaching really, really make a difference at that top level? Uh, it, it definitely makes a difference. The, the issue you're going to have is uh, the D-line coach at Clemson, the D-line coach at, at Oklahoma – you're talking about these are the top five to ten D-line coaches in the country. Right. So they're all going to maximize the shit out of them. Now, who does it marginally better? I don't know. Probably Larry Johnson, but I'm yeah. a little biased. Right, right. So, right. I mean, it, now, if that kid chooses to, to stay home and go to, uh, you know, uh, Virginia. Right. Or, and I'm not not to knock Virginia's D-line coach. I don't even know who it is. But yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. It, that guy wants to go to Ohio State. That guy wants to go to Clemson. Right. And he's not there yet. Yeah. And so there's a reason why – So. I guess more of the story is if you go to the top five program, you go to Alabama, you're going to get maximized about as well as Ohio State. Right. And now you're now you you look at even 
deeper than that is what are the strength coaches like? What's the nutritionist like? Yeah. How strict is the program? Mm-hmm. How strict are they on holding you to your nutrition, to your weight gain, to your weight loss, whatever? Right. And so, so it's, it's not just coaching. It's really it, the whole kind the of The whole program. So specifically at Ohio State, we, we mentioned the success of these guys. I think at a level that we've never had at Ohio State with players that went to the league, we have superstars in the league through the urban era. What specifically about the urban regime and how he goes about things do you think maximizes players' development? It really all starts with Mickey Marotti, and that's why you're going to see a carryover from staff to staff if, as long as Mickey is there. Mickey's he's the strength and, the strength and conditioning coach. He's, he's one of the best in the country. I haven't heard of a guy that, that does things the way he does them. Um, he has a lot of protégés that do it like him, mm-hmm. but uh, and, and obviously mentors that he learned from, but he, he's really the starting point. He develops these kids off the field physically and toughness-wise as well or better than anyone in the country. Mm-hmm. And then Urban had this... Uh, I guess, neurotic obsession with what you were doing to maximize your players. Like, it was constant. It was all day, every day. He was on you just, I mean, he was challenging. He All he did was challenge coaches. Right. Like, if you went and did a drill, like, if he went out and watched your drills on the field, he, you better make him say, holy shit, that's sweet. Right, right. And I used to, and I, I was the worst because I was the position he coached. Yeah. So every day I'd go on the field and I'd be like, I better come up with something creative. Right. So when he walks away, like, that's cool <laughs> as shit. Right. Yeah. And I did. The right. first last two years, he'd walk out of there like, wow, that was, I mean, it might be stupid, but he's like, wow, that was so freaking <laughs> right, cool. Right. Yeah. No, and you also had a, I remember, um, actually, I think it was like Kirk Barton maybe this week posted yeah. that uh, commercial, basically that Ohio State commercial you did with Mike Thomas that was for Zone 6. That, that, it was epic. That shit was epic. epic. So that that was awesome. Last thing, we'll get you out of here on this, um, is the CFP. You know, obviously, as Ohio State fans, we're still reeling over that loss. But the show goes on, and there's a game coming up on Monday. It's Monday, right? Monday night. Monday night. National yep. Championship. How do you think that game plays out? Well, I'm going to be honest. Before the uh, semifinal matchup, I would have said Clemson would win the game. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's a lot closer than a, a, a definitive Clemson's going to win the game. Mm-hmm. For one reason and one reason only, uh, LSU's defense has been a little suspect throughout the year. They're mm-hmm. playing their best football at the end of the year, which is what you need. Yeah. But what I saw was Ohio State secondary take out two of the best receivers in the country. Yeah. Completely made them irrelevant. Yeah. Right. And so... LSU secondary is not Ohio State's, Mm -hmm. but you got to think that, I mean, they have two really talented corners. They have an all-American safety. I mean, they they got a chance. If if they can find now, the real issue here is they play man coverage almost every snap, and you saw how that worked out with Trevor Lawrence scrambling and and a mismatch on Travis Etienne. So I still like Clemson in the game, but it's I would have said they would win by seven points. Now I think it's a a one to three point victory. And that's kind of how I look at it. I think I think first of all, I saw that LSU is a five and a half point favorite. And I'm not a better, but if I was a better, I think I would I would be on the money line on Clemson. Oh yeah. I think P- Clemson is way underrated. I think a lot of people don't realize that the how five and a half point underdogs. Clemson's five and a half point underdogs. Okay, wow. Yeah. And I, I feel like I would take don't you I would, I would take that straight if yeah, I was betting. That's what I'm saying. Um uh, I think people don't realize how good Clemson is because they didn't really play a lot of people a lot of people think they got away with one with Ohio State in the Ohio State game, which they did. But they have now been punched in the mouth, and I think that they have one of the best coaching staffs, and they obviously have talent all over the field. I think that they are actually more prepared for this game because of the Ohio State game, um, despite the injuries that they may have and they've been beaten up. But they also got two weeks now. Before, it was like a week or yeah, maybe eight, days, eight yeah. days. So now yeah. they got two weeks. So that's also uh, my perspective. V, how do you think it's going to play out? I've got Clemson as well, and I think it's it's fairly obvious if you just look at the data, right? Who's got? They both have great offenses, but Clemson has the better defense. 
Um, and therefore, at the end of the game, you think that Clemson Clemson will take this game because of experience and because overall on both sides of the ball, they seem to be better. Right. That's perfect. Zach, thanks for joining us again on the Pilot Boys podcast. Obviously, you know, we always appreciate your insight. Make sure you guys check him out at Coach Zach Smith on Instagram and Twitter and check out his podcast, Menace to Sports. It's available everywhere. That's all we have for today's show. Big thanks to our guests, Lee Bodden and Zach Smith. Thanks to everybody for listening. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Subscribe to the Pilot Boys podcast on Apple, Spotify, Patreon, and YouTube. And please follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And always remember, be you, you as fly. Pilot Boys out! Where the Pilot Boys at? Pilot Boys, we get on up.